Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 163. The 2023 WSL Championship Tour regular season has come to a close, with Caroline Marks and Jack Robinson claiming the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outernone, and the WSL Final Five has been confirmed for the world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles next month. And those surfers are, on the women's side, number five, rookie Caitlin Simmers, number four, Australian Molly Picklam, number three, Tahiti winner Caroline Marks, number two, two-time world champion Tyler Wright, and sitting in the number one spot, five-time WSL champion Carissa Moore. On the men's side, at number five, there's Tahiti winner Jack Robinson. At number four, Brazilian Zhao Xianca. At number three, Australian Ethan Ewing. At number two, San Clemente's own Griffin Colapinto. And sitting in the number one spot, again, reigning WSL champion Felipe Toledo. The Rip Curl WSL Finals will take place next month between September 8th and 16th, and will be broadcast live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. You don't want to miss it. Also, with the conclusion of the regular CT season, we have finished the maiden year on the Visla CT Shaper rankings. And once the dust had settled in Chopu, it was San Clemente's Mayhem surfboards led by Matt Biolis who have claimed the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year title and will be awarded an overnight surf and stay at Surf Ranch Lemoore, courtesy of the WSL and the Kelly Slater Wave Company. Congratulations to everyone for a great season. Much more to come. All right, episode 163. We are back with my part-time co-host for this season where we run through winners and losers from Tahiti. We dive deep on this season's Visla CT Shaper rankings. We answer listener questions and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast and hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. A good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut you lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up here, boxing. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitchell Salazar. And we've arrived. We've arrived at the end of the road. We've arrived at the end of the championship tour regular season with the completion of CT10, the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outernone, which was won by Caroline Marks and Jack Robinson. We had the very exciting determination of the WSL Final Five decided in the final heat of the event, the final heat of the regular season, locking in the surfers who will compete for the world title in next month's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. We had 
the culmination of the 2023 Visla CT Shaper rankings, won by Mayhem Surfboards, led by Matt Biolis. We had injury drama, wildcard chaos. What an event. You know, Mitch, uh, you, producer Miguel, and myself have been melting down the lineup WhatsApp thread with our hot takes of this event for about a week now. But what are your initial thoughts now that the dust has settled at Chopu? Well, first things first, what a finish to the regular season, Dave. And I mean, especially finals day, there were a couple of heats where I just couldn't believe it. And, and I think the final was as good as it could have gotten for the men, too. Uh, Gabe had 15 points in the first six minutes of the final. And Jack came back and dropped a couple of 7.83s on top of him and got himself into the Rip Curl WSL finals. On the women's side, very impressed by Caroline Marks. But I think Caitlin Simmers is really the person that I'm looking to just saying, like, wow, Talent is there, the competitiveness is there, but I think the demand to grow both physically and competitively is there for Caitlin Simmers in the future. Couple real impressive surfers. Um, gotta give props to Gabe. I thought he surfed his ass off. And I mean, when we're talking about somebody that left it all on the line, it was him. Um, maybe a little bit too much activity in the end, and that cost him in the final. But uh, on the women's side, there's a lot of silver linings. I thought Tyler Wright was very close to clinching number one on the women's side of things for the WSL Final Five. And I really want to give props to Vahina Fierro, too. She surfed great, made it all the way to the semifinals. Another stellar result there in Tahiti. But what a way to finish off the regular season, Dave. I loved every second of it. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been plagued by these La Nina to El Nino, um, less than stellar forecasts for most of the season. And it, it didn't look great for this event. Um, we didn't have those classic, huge Southwest swells that hit us, but the end of the road still delivered. There was some amazing barrel rides. I think we got way more than we anticipated. It's really exciting. Um, why don't we get started here by our last regular season segment of winners and losers from the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outer Known. Mitch, why don't you uh, start us off with our first loser from that event? Yeah, it's um, kind of an obvious one, but I felt like both women... Uh, they were just outside of qualifying for the Rip Curl WSL Finals and getting a shot at the WSL Final Five. Stephanie Gilmore and Lakey Peterson, they matched up, actually, in the elimination round. Steph came out on top, made the quarterfinals, but I felt Lakey had a really disappointing performance. I didn't really see too much initiative on her behalf. And I know the conditions weren't great, but there were scoring opportunities out there in a very low-scoring heat. Then Steph's make it, making it to the quarterfinals, and I felt like she didn't really put a, a lot of emphasis into training and maybe preparation into this event, knowing that she did have an outside shot, and if Katie were to make the se uh, semifinals, she'd already be in. I just didn't feel like there was a sense of urgency on her behalf, Dave, and for that, that's my initial loser, but, um, you know, besides that, I thought they both had a great season. Really mm -hmm. good to see Lakey Peterson come back, win an event at Jeffrey's Bay. Obviously, Steph is still getting for number nine, but uh, overall, I just feel like there was a shot for them to make it into the Rip Curl WSL Finals and have two surfers that probably would have done very well at lowers, too. It's a great point, and it's it's actually really aligned with the first loser I wrote down for Tahiti. And it's a little bit broad, but it's the tour veterans for me. And, and I know we have a wide age range of surfers in this space, but you got 11-time WSL champion Kelly Slater, you have reigning eight-time WSL champion Stephanie Gilmore, and perennial threats like Jordy Smith, Lakey Peterson, who we talked about, Kanoa Igarashi, Joanne DeFay, and others. They all got a bit packed up 
in Tahiti and, and somewhat this season more broadly. And it's case by case, of course. But if you're looking at the ages of our finalists in Tahiti, Gabe is 29, so he's a little bit older, but Jack's only 25, Caroline's only 21, and Katie is 17. So that skews pretty young for the broader field. And I think what's more telling, if you look at the average age of the 10 men's and women's surfers who are competing in the upcoming Rip Curl WSL finals, it's at 24.1 years. That's the average, right? So to me, it's not conclusive, but I think that's a pretty strong indicator that things could be shifting on the CT in terms of generational dominance. Again, case by case, Kelly's 51, and I thought he looked awesome. You know, he's like knifing drops. He looked really sparky until Iago staked him through the heart there. <laughs> Steph, who you mentioned, she's been pretty vocal about the challenges she's had with Chopu. And I'm sure she wished up she put I'm sure she wished she put up a bit more fight there. But you know, Smith and Peterson, Igarashi, DeFay, and, and the other veterans on tour, I really think all of them are surfing better than they ever have. But that window of dominance may be closing in on them. And we'll see if they have any more gas in the tank um, before their respective runs are finished. But yeah, that's my my first loser from Tahiti. It's a good pick, and uh, there's certain points that I fully agree on. And the certain surfers might have had an off year, too. I think Kanoa probably had that. Sure. Uh, I mean, he bounced back in, in the end, and I think uh, he's probably going to have a good result next year. I also feel like there are a couple bigger threats that had a great start to the year and just never lost steam. Mm -hmm. One of them being Joao Shianka. Maybe sure. didn't have the second half of the year that he wanted to, but um, it was a slap of reality in the face for a lot of these surfers that maybe mm -hmm. had the dominance of being top five, top ten surfers. And now you see a young generation coming up that even had quarterfinal, semifinals appearances like Baron Mamiya had mm. right here in Tahiti, too. But I, I, I agree with you. I think there is a generational shift. And speaking of generations, my second loser is actually one of our rookies this season, and that's Rio Waida. Mm. Um, I thought he had a chance to clinch his Olympic spot here. Luckily, he didn't. And that actually gave Alan Cleveland Jr. a spot because he won the ISA World Games. So, Dave, we got our first Mexican surfer Olympian there over there in Paris 2024. Fly but the besides flag. that, yeah, hey, we got to. It's um, <laughs> yeah, one sure. of the only things that we're going to be able to do for a few, few years now, I feel. But look, everybody thought that he was going to be Rookie of the Year. I mm. knew that it was going to be close between him and Ian Gentile. Ian right. Gentile took it out. I just feel like the consistency at the end, maybe Rio not finding that rhythm that he needed at certain locations. Everybody thought that he was going to be dominant at the surf ranch just because mm -hmm. of his size, his capabilities yeah. in the year and combining things. Had a poor result there. I felt like Jeffrey's Bay was an event that I expected him to do way better at. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a good result there. And then you go into Tahiti with two things on your mind. First of all, you want to beat Ian Gentile out of the Rookie of the Year race. And second, mm -hmm. and most importantly, you did need to qualify for the Olympics because now you only have one event next season at the ISA World Surfing Games in Puerto Rico, which is your only opportunity to become a two-time Olympian. So a lot mm -hmm. on the line for him. Ended up bowing out, number 21 in the world in his rookie season. Ian Gentile, on the other hand, number 14, with mm -hmm. a couple of good results at the end of the year. It's an interesting pick. A little harsh on the rookie there, Mitch, in Tahiti. <laughs> but no, I get it. And I mean, we've been talking about it all year. Um, he's such a fast and talented surfer and like true moments of brilliance throughout the year. And it's awesome having someone from Indonesia qualify for the tour. We've talked about there's these pockets of amazing surf and amazing surfers around the world that 
it, it's a challenge for them to leave their respective paradises and compete on the world stage. And Rio's, you know, the first from Indonesia to do it. We talked about how he didn't go home. He was on the road all year learning. And I think there's an advantage to that in terms of getting comfortable living out of a suitcase, in terms of getting comfortable in these spots. But there might be a double-edged sword there where it's like at some point you might just gas out and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm expecting big things from Rio in the future for sure. But it's a good pick. He had a lot on the line in Tahiti and uh, couldn't 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 get it done. You know, my uh, my second loser from Tahiti is actually uh, Tatiana Weston Webb. Um, I think Tati, she is a world class surfer, and I truly think she offers something unique in terms of weapons on tour across pretty much every venue. But Something has felt off about her this season in terms of maybe it's the head game and just spark. And I think Tahiti was a microcosm of the whole season for her. I think she is arguably one of the best female surfers at Chopu. You know, she charges, she pushes the envelope in her free surfs. And while I don't think anyone, even the world's best surfers, feel particularly comfortable out in the lineup, I think Tatiana's comfort level is a step above the rest of the field, you know. She lost in the quarterfinals to Tyler Wright. She couldn't crack a semifinals outside of Portugal at CT3 this season. And she finished the year ranked eighth, which was is her second worst finish of her career on the CT and her worst since 2017. So, you know, I think she has a lot more to give. Um, but I think Tatiana um, missed an opportunity in Tahiti. And, and I think that kind of summed up the year. Well, that leads straight into my third loser. And that's actually... Uh, world title contenders on the female mm. side from previous years because if you look at the people that qualified for the Rip Girl WSL finals, Carissa's facing four new faces. Mm. I mean, given that Tyler is an experienced veteran, she's a two-time world champion, but you didn't really expect Molly Picklin and Caitlin Simmers to be at this point of their careers in just their first and second year, respectively, of competing on the championship tour. And yeah, given that Tati did have some good opportunities there, I mean, after the Surf Ranch, made the quarterfinals at Punta Roca, but had to actually bow out of the event due to illness. Then it just went on a bad road afterwards. I mean, we talk about Brazil being a good event for her, especially with how the waves were and that pickup and swell during the last two days. Bowed out in the elimination round there, did not do well at Jeffries Bay, and had a very low outside chance to qualify for the WSL Final Five in Tahiti. Won her opening round heat, but then despite making the quarterfinals already, because Caitlin Simmers made the quarterfinals automatically after the opening round, she was guaranteed a spot and taking Tati outside of it. So, um, you know, you look at Sally Fitzgibbons, what she was able to do during her career. She's not there competing for the world championship. Joanne DeFay's not there. Mm. And I'm obviously surprised that Courtney's not even on the championship tour anymore, too. But sure. I think it's really showing that the dominance of the youngsters on the championship tour, both male and female, have really got something to prove right now. Could even see one of them become a world championship, uh, world champion at the end of the event at Lower Trestles, too, Dave. It's a great point, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think the, the point about we've got four brand new faces on the women's side at the Rip Curl WSL Finals. We've run this format twice, and I think the big learning between year one and year two was that for the surfers who had gone through year one and maybe didn't perform the way they wanted, had some first event jitters, they acted like they'd been there before in year two, you know, considerably stronger performances. I think it's such a unique event in terms of the pressure, in terms of the format, in terms of the canvas for them to perform at their best. 
Um, and we saw it in the second year too. The fresh faces struggled a bit. So it'll be interesting to see if that's still the case in year three, especially given that Curtis has been there twice. Curtis is in the pole position and she has four brand new faces that have to deal with it on the day. I, I think it's a great pick. Um, you know, my, my final loser coming out of Tahiti is um, just us surf fans with Ethan Ewing's injury. <laughs> You know, um, I think Ethan is a surfer. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, who's taken massive steps forward in the past couple of years and really looks established as one of the favorites to compete for a world title in the next few years. And I think most people know, but Ethan suffered uh, fractured bones in his lower back during a warm-up swell at Chopu uh, the week before the event, and he had to withdraw, you know, and his status for the finals is, as of recording, undetermined. But it's possible that he's not able to compete there. And if so, it's probably even more likely that if he does, he won't be 100%, which I think for surf fans is a bummer. I would have loved to have seen a full speed Ethan at both Tahiti and the finals. And uh, we'll see how things shake out. But I do I do hope for a speedy and full recovery for him uh, moving forward. And it's a total bummer, too, because I thought he was having the best year of his career so far, despite only getting one win this season. I mean, the amount of consistency that he had, the finals, the surfing that he displayed, his surfing at the surf ranch was mm -hmm. incredible. I mean, remember, he beat Gabe in the quarterfinals, made it all the way to the semis. Yeah. I thought he was actually going to compete in the final matches against Felipe. Um, now, I think that's up in the air. I have seen somebody surf with a broken back before in an event that actually just happened at uh, the last Challenger Series we had here at the U.S. Open, Jorgen Kuzne paddled mm. out with a broken back. He couldn't even complete a turn. Um, mm. I think if he does go to lowers, that's almost a walkthrough heat. Uh, you don't want to take it that way. Right. But that actually leads to my first winner, and it's Griffin Colopinto. Mm. Gets a ninth-place finish here, loses to Kali Vost, given that's not a great result. But he actually takes Ethan Ewing's number two seed and solidifies his spot right there in the WSL Final Five. The consistency that he's brought this year, the innovation, the progression, the amount of pressure, first of all, that he's had to put up with due to all the troll warriors, all the keyboard warriors that we have online. He's put up with a lot. And he could be the first Californian world champion since Tom Curran in the early 90s. Especially <laughs> it's been doing a, it's been at a while. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, though? Like, I, Connor I, I, Coffin, up, I, I knew that, but I had to relook it up the other day because I'm like, is that? And I'm like, yep, it's yeah. been 32 years or whatever. It's unbelievable. Like, with the talent that we have here, like I still can't believe it. And I actually think he has a really good shot now with Ethan having his back broken of becoming world champion. I still think Felipe is a top dog. And I think if you go to three matches with him, he's got something to prove right there at Lowers as well. But what I can tell you is that it's going to be loud down there at Lower Trestles for Griffin Colapinto. People are going to be on his side. He's going to have the entire crew behind him. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch him when he hits the water over there at Lowers. It's going to be interesting. I just had like a weird Batman expanded universe <laughs> mental fog there because when we were talking about it, it's been so long for Californians since they've had a world title. It reminded me of the Bane quote from the Dark Knight about, or Dark Knight Rises about, you know, victory has defeated you. We've talked about it. Like when equipment and training and approach and physicality is ubiquitous or access to how to improve those things is ubiquitous in 2023 because of the information age, 
the point of difference is motivation, you know, and, and I think compared to a lot of the different countries on tour, specifically the rise of the Brazilian storm, the motivation hasn't been there for surfers from California or specifically Southern California. And then since that was a Bane quote, you mentioned Ethan breaking his back and, and Bane famously <laughs> broke Batman's back. Anywho, I digress, but great one. Great one to kick off the winners. Um, winner number one for me it has to be Jack Robinson. You know, he's been in our losers picks for a few times, you know, throughout the middle of the season. He had an amazing start with the win at Pipeline, a third at Sunset Beach, a runner up in Portugal. Then he gets injured at Bells. He withdraws from his home event at Margaret River. He returned after that. He just didn't have the same form he had to start the season. You know, a 17th at Surf Ranch, a 17th at Punta Roca, a 17th at Sacarema. And he's cascading out of this very secure top five position. So we see him rebound at Jeffrey's Bay with a fifth and is then an outside chance to break back into the WSL final five with a huge result in Tahiti and a number of things have to break his way too. Now, I don't think any of us in the surfing world were unaware of Jack's ability at places like Chopu, but as we said, we didn't have a classic forecast for this event. We knew it was going to be tricky Wins his opening round heat over Callum Robson and Connor O'Leary. Beats Liam O'Brien in the round of 16. He takes down his good friend and sparring partner Iago Dora in the quarterfinals, which opened up that opening in the fifth spot potentially to a number of surfers left in the draw. Takes out a rampaging Leonardo Fioravanti in the semis. And then drew someone who I'm going to squeeze in a bonus winner here because I want to talk about it, but someone who... In my humble opinion, and with all due respect to the Tahitian super talents at the break, is the best Chopu surfer on the planet in Gabriel Medina. In the final, winner of the men's final gets that fifth spot into the Rip Curl WSL finals. Medina comes out awesome at the start. Jack fights back. He gets the win. He gets the ticket into the finals and just an awesome resurrection story for his season i'm actually i'm more psyched to see him at the finals than i thought i would have been just because of this bounce back i've seen that's actually jack was supposed to be my third winner but i guess now <laughs> i'm gonna put it on number two just so i can back tag this but dude how gnarly was it dave on finals day we had four people that were in contention to get one of the last four or five spots like it was it was crazy leo was in it jack was in it you had nago yago who was sitting at number five and then the monster killer gabe over there just was lurking in the shadows and came out of nowhere to eventually make it to the final was in control until jack got his pair of 7.83s but dude, wow what an event what a finals day and jack robinson to me is really a master of perseverance and mm. um i love the way he was composing himself during his post-seed interviews on the podium when joe, when joe was interviewing him he really talked about the people that have been around him and he even tell, told the camera a few times you know who you are and he's keeping mm. that very close to chest and as mm. of right now he really is the one person that i think a lot of people are just counting out to win at lower trestles but he has something right. to prove remember last year Waves are horrible. He probably mm. thought he was going to have better chances. Now he knows that you can't rely on the ocean. You need to be able to rely on yourself in situations like this. And his boards look incredible. It seems like he's 100% now in terms of injuries. And he came out with a mission in the final, too. There was one drop right there that was so late. I knew he wasn't going to make the wave at all. But he knew that the only way to beat Gabe was by going as deep as possible and as mm. steep as possible. And he achieved that at the end. But... 
now relies the question, can he make it to the final match, surf three heats to get there, and beat Felipe in two out of three? That's going to be really hard to top, but if somebody can achieve it, it's Jack Robinson right now with the momentum he's gained. It's a great point. And as we said before, uh, he has been there before. You know, I'm sure I'm sure he's not happy with, with last year's showing at the finals. But as we said, the improvement we saw between all the surfers who were there in year one to year two, understanding the pacing and the rhythm of the event, understanding the pressure. I, I'm excited to see how Jack goes at the finals this year. You know, for my second winner out of Tahiti, I'm going to go with Team Red Bull. You know, and let's just call it like we see it. They've invested in the sport. They've invested in the athletes and it's showing. They have seven out of the 10 Rip Curl WSL finals competitors on their team. Four out of five on the women's side. On the men's side, you got Griffin Colapinto, Zhao Xianca, and Jack Robinson, all of whom I think Red Bull only added to the team in the last 12 months. So how's that for a return on your investment? <laughs> and then they're going to be taking on the reigning world champ, current WSL number one, Felipe Toledo, as well as an injured and potentially out of the competition, Ethan Ewing. Then on the women's side, there's five-time world champion and current WSL number one, Carissa Moore, Caroline Marks, Molly Picklum, and Katie Simmers, rounded out by two-time world champion, Tyler Wright. I mean... This is the point of sponsorship in a way. You want to support athletes as they reach the highest levels of achievement and sport and, and credit where credit's due. You know, Red Bull have dominated this season. They have a lot of horses in the race for both the men's and women's world title. And yeah, they're my, my second winner coming out of Tahiti and this season. And also want to give them huge props for sticking by Leo and Kanoa as well. Leo had an incredible year. And I mean, when I'm talking about somebody that was just in fine form all year long, people were discrediting him, mm -hmm. not giving mm -hmm. him the respect that he deserved. He finished number eight in the world, ladies and gentlemen, and yeah. had a chance finals day, made it all the way to the semifinals, beat out Cowley Vost, who was the best surfer in the event last year, despite losing the final to Miguel Pupo. Sure. And he dominated him too. He was just in better position the entire time. So props to Leo. Cano had a bounce back right at the end too. So, those two guys, keep an eye on them for next season. But um, my third winner, and I'm just really impressed with what I've been seeing so far in the last few years, it's the next generation of world title contenders on the female side. Mm -hmm. Molly Picklem, Katie Simmers, Caroline Marks, watch out. I think Caroline Marks has a fantastic chance of winning at Lower Trestles, given that she's probably going to be looking right for the most part. She's only going to be forced to go left in certain situations where she probably needs a score. But her backhand is as good as it gets. She's won two events this year. She's made multiple finals, including at the Surf Ranch, which she's finaled at before. But given that she's had consistency at a break that many people have difficulties finding at, I think she's actually a good pick to become world champion this year. The Katie Simmers, Molly Picklem. Katie, a rookie this season. She's got rookie of the year already. And then Molly Picklem, who bounced back after falling off the championship tour, requalifying through the Challenger Series, winning an event, being leader of the rankings, now going in as the number four seed. I am just amazed right now at the level of talent on the female side. And Dave, we could have a new world champion at the end of the year. I agree. I, I think this is the fiercest women's final five we've seen. You know, and, and I think it's a testament to how good the next generation is. I, I think that's a really, really dangerous field. Um, you know, for my uh, third and final winner coming out of Tahiti, um, you know, as someone who was uh, 
how to put it, you know, in the engine room of the tours and competition redesign. Admittedly, you know, it was a collaboration and there were a, a bunch of architects inside and outside the building. I'm pretty happy with the level of surfing we're seeing, the performances that are being elevated and the sports stories coming out of the, the framework right now. You know, I think like anything, there's parts of it we can optimize, but the philosophy of starting with a relatively large field sharpening that as we get closer to the finish and then getting to experience this battle for the final five in the last few seasons um, with this season's literally coming down to the final heat of the year. It was just really cool to see, you know? Um, and as far as the CT schedule goes, you know, we all work really hard to have a balance of wave types in different regions and schedule them in windows where those venues are going to be their world-class best. And that doesn't, always work out perfectly. The one thing we don't control is the ocean. And this year, as you pointed out, we've been challenged by uncommon weather phenomena on tour. Um, however, even, even those less than stellar days in places like Chopu with the stakes of the final five on the line, I, I found the levels of the surfers lifted and the experience of seeing them do that was just really cool. You know, it's Rabbit's philosophy for the dream tour. It's best surfers you can find, best waves you can find, and it's a recipe to see some cool shit. So yeah, I, I'm, I think that's my third winner is like just, again, it, it can always improve and optimize, but I think the system's really showcasing some awesome surfing. Well, and remember, Dave, you can't please everybody either, but with the performances that we had on finals day and everything that was on the line for finals day, especially on the men's side, it goes to show that the system works. And the excitement levels were there to prove it, too. I mean, you had five people on the men's side that were in discussion to get either the four or the five seed heading into the Rip Curl WSL Finals. John John Florence, who, by the way, was an animal leading up to his quarterfinal performance against Gabe. Gabe, who made it to the final, made it very interesting. Jack, who qualified. Joao, who remained there. Leo, who was just an animal all season. And, of course, Iago, who was the biggest loser out of those five people that were involved because he was holding on to the five seed heading into the event. But look at what Yago had to prove against Kelly, too. I mean, buzzer beater moment, drops an eight, then in the quarterfinals nearly knocks out Jack out of the event, too, with an error that probably would have gotten him the score. So hmm. I feel like right now that the system that we have, the regional QS, getting onto the challengers and then making it to the CT with the final five format, it's as exciting as it's been before. And I feel like this year, specifically when we head to lowers, people know that there's a lot on the line because if you're able to become a world champion with the two people that are holding number one seeds right now, both Carissa and Felipe, it means that you truly are the most consistent and best surfer on the planet. I love it. Well, that was our uh, final regular seasons uh, uh, winners and losers. So that was fun, Mitch. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we will be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Okay, we are back. This is The Lineup with Dave Proden. I'm here with Mitchell Salazar, and it is now time for an update, uh, the final update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings for this CT season. Shaper rankings! Although I have an inkling that it's going to continue to feature as a conversation between now and the start of the 2024 season. We'll see about that. But we have meticulously monitored what shapers the world's best surfers have been riding all season long. 10 events, Pipeline, Sunset Beach, Paniche, Bells Beach, Margaret River, Surf Ranch, Punta Roca, Sakurama, Jeffreys Bay, and Chopu. We've discussed trades and acquisitions, models, technology, and on and on. The Visla CT Shaper rankings measuring the performances of the world's best surfers and counting quarterfinal or better results and assigning those to the surfers' corresponding shapers in a combined men's and women's rankings. The higher the surfer places, the more points that shaper receives. And with that, we have determined the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year, and that is Mayhem Surfboards, helmed by Matt Biolis out of San Clemente. Congratulations to Matt. Uh, awesome performance all season, supported by five-time WSL champion and current WSL number one, Carissa Moore, WSL final five combatants like Griffin Colapinto and Caroline Marks, and contributing team members like Yago Dora, Gabriella Bryan, and Ian Gentile. Mitch, your initial takeaways from the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outer Known and the impact that that had on this final event for the Visla CT Shaper rankings. Well, Sharpie was really close to getting a victory here. And when we talk about, you know, them being so close in the rankings, around 40,000 points separating uh, Mayhem and Sharpie in second place, I felt like the wins were really what separated Mayhem for the most part, especially Yago's win over there in Brazil. 
But specifically here in Tahiti, you got to really realize that only one quarter finalist on the men's side was a mayhem rider, while on the mm. women's side, Carissa made the quarters, but Caroline ended up winning her second event of the season. So that's another thing, too. On the women's side, they had quite a few victories. Not a lot of team riders, as you were pointing out, but Gabriella Bryan was very consistent with the quarterfinal results this year. Mm-hmm. She finished within the top 10. Ian Gentile had a great second half of the season, made the midseason cut as well, but a quarterfinal and a semifinal for him really put him in a good spot. But I think it's really coming down to Griffin Cole Pinto's consistency, especially during the finals, and mm-hmm. Carissa Moore's dominance as the number one seed heading into the Rip Curl WSL finals. Do want to give big props, though, to Chris Borst. Um, you know, had an incredible season with Katie Simmers, multiple finals, a couple of victories as well. And then Johnny Cabianca with Gabe. Um, can't really say anything better than him. <laughs> uh, finishing number six at the end uh, with a strong final against Jack Robinson here in Tahiti. I'm glad you brought up both uh, Chris Borst and Johnny Cabianca because we ended up with, I think at the end of the year, 18 shapers scoring results on the 2023 Visla CT shaper rankings with a handful of others that supported CT surfers but didn't crack into those quarterfinal results. But as we've been saying from the start, you know, the Visla CT shaper rankings isn't an apples-to-apples comparison across all 20-odd shapers, but more of a reflection of who the best surfers in the world are choosing to put under their feet and how those boards are performing in terms of results of impact. And to that end, we've kind of talked about it. There are three general tiers in terms of program size within kind of the board-building community for the tour. And five of the programs or the, sorry, the five programs in the top tier in terms of size, aside from Pizel, all filled out the top five positions. Um, but to that end, the biggest team that we've had all year, Sharpie, didn't end up on top. So that's where the results come in. You know, Mitch, when you're looking at these different tiers, you mentioned, you know, Cabianca just have Gabriel and Boris just have Katie Simmers. And the rankings aren't here to kind of inform how programs should structure their programs. Everyone's different and has different sizes, but it really does feel like the conversation is within those tiers. If you've got two to three team riders, you're in that middle tier. If you've got half a dozen or more, you're in that upper tier. And if you've just got one, you're in kind of that lower tier, but the competition's really between your peers in those tiers. What do you think about that? Uh, no, I absolutely agree because it doesn't matter the size of your team. You know, if you have everybody in the quarterfinals, well, that's great. You're just adding points uh, onwards from there. But what I felt is that it was really the wins and the semifinal appearances are better for Mayhem that really got him mm-hmm. that consolidation after the Surf Ranch. If you look at the Surf Ranch, DHD was leading up until that point. And I don't know if you remember, but we actually had him in the booth and chatted <laughs> with him for a little bit. And he was cocky. He was enjoying himself. He was already claiming that he wanted a yellow jersey. And then I asked May matt about it from mayhem and he's like yeah like i don't really care but like you could secretly down (laughs) see that he did care and he it mattered to him but um i felt like you know those victories were crucial and it just kind of changed the pacing and the rhythm of everything at the end too felipe obviously did care he had a few wins at the end as well especially at j bay where he was untouchable but that was only one person Jack was making the quarters. Leo was making the quarters. But where's everybody else on the women's side, too? Right. And that's what Mayhem had that did super well. Both Caroline Marks and Carissa Moore were dominant on the women's side. And then you had Gabby Bryan's quarterfinal finishes are better. It's just adding more and more point total. So there needs to be an equal distribution. You can't just have everybody on the on the men's side like Sharpie does. 
You got Seth Moniz. You got Barry now, who just added semifinals for his performance here in Tahiti, too. But that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a good result with just Tati and Joanne DeFay on the, on the women's side. Luckily, I felt like there were a few performances that actually could have been way better from other companies, like mm. DHD with Molly Picklem, especially right. here in Tahiti. She only needed one at the end to beat Katie. But um, I think you look at it overall, it was the equal distribution for Mayhem that had ended up edging him out in comparison to his other uh, four really title competitors in the top five of the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings. I really like that breakdown. I actually think it's worth kind of going through these top five and, and hitting a few more points, right? So with Mayhem Surfboards, again, helmed by Matt Biolis out of San Clemente, they are the 2023 Vistla CT Shaper of the Year. I think all the points you brought up are right. They've got a good balanced team. They don't have the biggest team. No. Uh, they have the smallest, but it was just the quality of results from the team members they had. I, I think the other interesting thing is, you know, Mayhem picked up, Ian Gentile at El Salvador this season, and, and that paid dividends for them in, in a pretty big way. You mentioned Gabriella Bryan. We, I, I love her surfing, and we've talked about her a few times on this podcast. Very quiet achiever that's very consistent. Obviously, Griffin and Carissa and Caroline have had great years. And then Iago Dora's kind of late charge with that win at Sakurama and, and, and right outside of the top five. Um, any other thoughts you have on on the mayhem program, Mitch? Well, obviously they lost their number one rider, their their prodigy, their their wonder kid, Kalohandino, and for that to be such a huge loss when he spent more than a decade on the championship tour, I I, I felt like it was a huge blow for them. Mm -hmm. But then they just picked up the pace. Griffin was like, "Okay, you can't do it. I'll do it. Fine. Like this is my deal now." And I felt like Yago just kind of continued the same pace throughout the entire season too he was always a top 10 surfer but once he actually won in rio in his first final by the way too that really changed things for me i was like oh like they're distancing distancing themselves a lot more from sharp eye mm. and it was the demise of sharp eye at the end dave at the right. end you can't just depend on felipe the whole time to get you those points jack didn't win an event until tahiti i mean his injury Say he would have done well in Margaret River, his home break. You're guaranteed at least a fifth there. Right. But you can't just depend on a quarterfinal result or better to get you enough points to move up into the lead. 40,000 points separating first and second right now. That's a good amount of distance. That's at least four or five results that you're keeping moving in to the back end of the year. So I just felt like they left their foot off the gas. Um, mm. Seth Moniz had a couple of injuries throughout the year, too. Returned yeah. to El Salvador, but never made the quarterfinals or better. So, yeah, I just felt like Mayhem had a lot more to prove, especially going into lowers, too. Mm. Imagine you went on a local board at lower trestles. It just goes to signify that that's really the best proving ground to shape a lot of those boards. It's a good point. I might push back a little bit on the sharp eye thing because when you, and I know this isn't online, but you and I have talked about it. We have access to the data. When you break apart the combined men's and women's rankings for the Vistla CT Shaper rankings, you used to look at the men, you look at the women. Sharp eye absolutely dominated in the standalone men's ranking. You know, they're almost had twice the amount of points of the, the second 
placing team on the men's side. Felipe and Jack performed, but then, you know, we mentioned Leo, Kanoa, Rio, Baron. They all got results for them throughout the season. I think what you pointed out before in terms of balance for them really hurt them. You know, I think they struggled on the women's side. Um, Joanne DeFay, who is such a good surfer and so consistent, was hurt for a good chunk of the year. And then as we talked about, Tatiana had an off year for her, you know. Um, but I will say they did vault to second in the last event of the year. So I think it's a good kind of momentum builder for them heading into 2024. Let's talk about let's talk about DH real quick, you know, because I think DHD had one of the kind of more morally impressive showings of the season. You know, they are leading the Australian charge on tour with a really well-rounded team. Um but one that I think heading into Tahiti was really hobbled, right? Uh, Ethan Ewing is sort of their prize pony. He goes out with a pre-event injury. And then you just had less than stellar showings from Connor O'Leary, Liam O'Brien, uh, Stephanie Gilmore, and even Molly Picklam. I think those quarterfinals for Steph and Molly were fine, just not enough, you know? But I think DHD, as far as teams that have looking to bounce back, right, from from probably the heights of having kind of Mick and Steph so dominant, you know, years ago, I think they've made a great reset to their program and something that he's talked about quite a lot with both of us talked about on the podcast about how, you know, they might have a really strong stable of surfers. He's always looking to make sure there's no gaps, you know, and I, I yeah. think we're kind of seeing that from him. What do you think about the DHD stuff? Well, I think you're on point because I'm looking at the rankings right now. Connor O'Leary finished number 11. He mm. was a top 10 surfer all year long. I mean, had that epic battle against John, which a lot of people still, you know, think it was way closer than it actually was at Jeffrey's Bay. But he right. was a very consistent surfer. On the women's side, you obviously have Steph and Molly, who qualified for the Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. And that's what I wanted to mention about Joanna Fay real quick. She was injured at the beginning of the season, so her seating changed. Mm -hmm. She was always facing off against better surfers earlier on rather than facing the, them in the semifinals or, or later. Whereas Molly Picklin was one of the high seeds the entire year. And if you look at her results, I mean, they're really based because she was facing Betty Lou most of the time. Gabby. There were a couple people that were outsiders, such as, you know, wild cards. And given that because the seeding does change once you hit the quarterfinals on the women's side and the round of 16 on the men's side, it all matters getting out of that round for me. And I felt like there were moments uh, for DHD, specifically at the surf ranch, Ethan Ewing had a massive performance there. He mm. made the semifinals. That added to his seating. He actually moved up a few spots in the rankings. Then you go into Brazil afterwards, and Punta Roca, he lost that early to another DHD rider in Liam O'Brien. Bounced mm. back, made the final in Rio. But if you look at that, he just moved up and moved up. And once you keep that consistency in the top eight, and even into the top five, you're always matching up against lower seeds, and your heats aren't as difficult. Once you're able to acknowledge that, and you know that you're going to guarantee yourself a quarterfinal or better, dude, your confidence is through the roof, Dave. And it just seemed like for DHD, there were a couple of people like that. I felt like Liam was probably gaining some momentum at the end of the season. Time just ran out for him. But in terms of Ethan Ewing and Molly Picklam, they had the best year of their lives so far. Great analysis. You know, 
Paisel, you know, out of the North Shore of Oahu, as we mentioned, uh, finished fourth and is the only program in the top five finishers that we wouldn't consider in a top tier as far as program sizes go. You know, they have two-time world champion John John Florence and two-time world champion Tyler Wright and Sophie McCulloch before the midseason relegation. John had some results, but you could argue that as far as his dominance goes, is a pretty middling year for him. Um, and Paisel's fourth place finish, you could argue, is largely on the back of Tyler Wright's consistent performances. She was so good um, and just really impressive from a smaller team program. And, and, and Mitch, I know we've talked about it a bit offline and, and we've said already, we don't anticipate these rankings to radically inform how these programs go about their business. But finishing fourth with such a small team, do you think there's the possibility that Pizel adds some more team riders in 2024? Or do you think they'll probably stick with what's working for them so far? Well, I'm looking at the numbers right now and Pizel actually overtook Channel Islands from the number four spot because mm -hmm. of Tyler's result in Tahiti. Yep. So if it weren't for that semifinal result, and imagine if she actually makes the final, she would have distanced herself a bit more. Mm -hmm. To answer your question, though, I don't think so. I don't think you mm -hmm. need the advertising or the marketing because you have, I think, the consensus best surfer in the world or the most talented surfer in the world on the men's side and John John Florence. And then you have a two-time world champion who's gunning for her third and has a good chance of winning <laughs> in Tyler Wright. So if you have two unique surfers, your board's already being sold just by having those two surfers on the team. And they're specifically branded to be very good boards in heavier waves, which is mm. where John sells most of his boards too. I don't think you really need to add anybody to your team. If you want to, that's great. But I just don't see him making a huge profit off of somebody who's not on the championship tour or who's not a big star like the two people that he already has in John, John, and Tyler. Early days, though, for the Visla CT Shaper of the Year True. Award. So in a year or two, that thing might be moving boards like hotcakes. So you never know. <laughs> we might we might we might have more influence than we think. You know, you mentioned Channel Islands. They they went from fourth to fifth in Tahiti. They've had some real bright spots this season with the ascension of Zhao Xianka and, and a real resurgence from Lakey Peterson. But they did drop from fourth to fifth in Tahiti despite a semifinal finish from their wild card, Vahine Fierro. And we know that a number of CT surfers have been ghost riding their boards. And for a program that's been pretty vocal about rebuilding itself to its former glory, they're the one I'm going to be real eagle-eyed on during this offseason to see if they make any moves in 2024. Um, I think we know their goals are better than fifth, and they've been pretty direct about that. But what do you think about the offseason potential and and do you look at Channel Islands as potentially the most volatile one in terms of adding to their roster? No doubt. No mm -hmm. doubt. I think they're actually the team that has the most to gain out of this, especially if Joao is able to make it into the number two or number three match. Um, say they're getting the most publicity out of anybody, because if he were to make the final matches against Felipe, he'd be surfing the most heats out of everybody, too. Mm. They'd have more brand exposure right there. But I absolutely think that you're right when they have the most to gain out of everybody else. Yeah, they have a top five surfer on the men's side. They have a top 10 surfer on the women's side with Lakey Peterson, too. Lakey won an event this season on a model that's actually not even new. She was riding her trusty old fever, mm -hmm. while Joao has been really the test pilot for a lot of these new models that have come out. 
They've been working a lot with Jackson Baker, who's a championship tour surfer in the past. He's currently on the CS looking to requalify for the championship tour for 2024. He's also within striking distance of requalifying. But I just feel like having their new models, having some young pups like Reef Hazelwood, mm -hmm. like George Pitar coming up, these are young kids that really are looking forward to compete on the championship tour and really have a shot of being a superstar in the future. So I think having the new models, having a lot of these young surfers coming up, I think Channel Lions has a lot to gain. I actually think they're going to be the team that has the most improved next year and will actually be finishing in the top three of the Visa CT Shape Rankings come 2024. I like the call out. Well, once again, a huge congratulations to Mayhem Surfboards, their entire operation, the Sanders, the Laminators, the Delivery Drivers, the Sales Folks, obviously helmed by lead shaper and founder Matt Biolis uh, for becoming the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year program. Uh, huge win and a huge thanks to Visla for supporting the program. I think it's going to be bigger and better next year, and I think that's the far from the last time we're going to talk about it in 2023. We're going to take another quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515 all right welcome back everybody to the lineup podcast that's Dave program i'm mitchell salazar and we're down to our last segment of our episode and guess what it's my favorite segment, Instagram fan questions. And remember, if we don't get to your question this time, you can always write in at the lineup pod. And if we don't answer today, we'll do our best to respond on our direct messages as we always do. Question number one, Dave, from at Joao Olimas. Mm. Uh, you already answered this a little bit, but you can go into further explanation. If Ethan Ewing misses the WSL finals because of the injury, what happens? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, our chief of sport, Jesse Miley Dyer, actually, you know, messaged this out on the broadcast in Tahiti um, after we talked about Ethan withdrawing from the Tahiti event. As I said, he hasn't withdrawn from the finals yet, but he has a pretty significant injury. Um, if he doesn't turn up, um, that spot will not be filled, you know, as according to the rule book right now. So we'll have four men competing for the world title instead of five. Um, yeah, I mentioned being in the engine room when we were kind of 
collaboratively building out this redesign. And the thinking at the time was the top five men's and women's surfers competing for the world title have proven themselves all season long, you know, 10 CT events, a variety of world-class waves and, and have proven themselves as the best surfers of the season, earning the right to compete for the world title at the Rip Curl WSL finals. We talked about what we would do if you replaced or went down to six or seven or eight or, you know, even further, depending on how the injuries make up. And the conversation at the time landed on once you start moving past five, you start you start threatening the credibility of those surfers who have performed throughout the year and earned their spot there. So the rule as it stands is there is no replacement. If Ethan withdraws, it'll be four men. Ethan finished the regular season in third. So if he doesn't compete in the Rip Curl WSL finals, he will move one spot down and finish fourth. He won't go down to five. The worst he can fall is fourth. And and he'll do that essentially by forfeiting his heat. But I mean, a hugely interesting topic, right? And I think made even more interesting this year is as surf fans were looking at Gabriel and Iago and John John and Leo and Ryan and these people hovering around potentially this sixth spot in Tahiti. Uh, it's always fun to see more surfing. It's always fun when you have huge stars like that hovering around it. But but I also I I, I understand the credibility thinking on the the rule side. But Mitch, what do you think about that? A, the ruling on, on not replacing a surfer for the finals and put you on the spot here. And then also just the, the general thinking behind why, right? Well, uh, the, the why I totally understand. And especially on the company side, you want to set a standard, an example mm. too. And you want to keep that consistency. I mean, if you've agreed to it, which is, you know, already the third season where we had the Ripco WSL finals too. I think you want to be very strong when it comes to your decision-making and I think in this sense, obviously, you guys are. So I agree with that. From a fan's perspective, I can totally agree that I would love to see a fifth surfer in there. Um, for some reason, I feel like if Ethan hasn't pulled out entirely yet, though, I think he's still going to show up. Mm-hmm. Given, is he going to be 100%? Absolutely doubt that. Is he going to be close to 100? Will he be able to even turn? Maybe. So um, if he does show up, good for him. If we don't have a fifth surfer, well, you know what? That gives another shot to somebody else to move up and not have to surf an extra match. So props to them. They get a freebie. But um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep it very professional. I'm not going to try to go in and into too much of a fan mode. Um, our second question, Dave, at Avant Surfwax. Can you explain the WSL's process to getting approval and setting up the 10 CT events? Great question, by the way. That is a really good question. I, I mean, I think the design of, the, of all the products right the championship tour challenger series regional qualifying series that there are a number of people that collaborate on on scheduling and setting them up and figuring out how the rhythms work in terms of our goal right is to make sure that we're seeing better surfing every year and that we're matriculating the best kind of surfing through the system and that we're finishing with a world title you know in the final heat of the year when it comes to the ct you know it's it is a, a group conversation the tours and competition led by chief of sport jesse miley dyer you know they they oversee the technical integrity of the sport so from their perspective they're going what are the 10 best world-class waves that will be diverse. You know, it's not going to be Chopu 10 times. You'll have rights and lefts and beach breaks and point breaks and reef breaks. And 
scheduling them in windows where they're meant to be at their world-class best to comprehensively test the surfers on tour. So that's one component. And then there's a logistical component, which involves how easy are they to get to, not just for the staff, but for the surfers, for the fans, you know, in terms of schedule around the world, you don't want to be flying halfway across the world in between events. Can you leg them up? Um, and then also from a logistic standpoint, like what does the permit situation look like? How are we able to secure the space and make sure that everyone's safe and that everyone has a great experience at the event? That's not equal across the different countries. So that's, that's something else you have to navigate. And then the third component is just the financials. These events feature the world's best surfing, you know, and they're not cheap to run. You, you have to make sure that you're able to, you know, everyone's got to pay the mortgage, so to speak. So yeah, those are kind of the three factors that go in, you know, the, the surfing integrity side of thing, the logistical side of thing, and then just the revenue side of things. And they all work together to try to create the best uh, CT calendar on the planet. But hey, look, I, I get it. Whomst Amongst Us hasn't considered creating an anonymous you know, Twitter handle and, and demanding <laughs> that the WSL go to the Mentawise. I may have done it a few times, but you know, Mitch, what do you, what do you think? Like in terms of, uh, just as a surf fan, you take your WSL hat off. No one's getting in trouble here. What do you think as a surf fan, just in, I know we've talked about a little bit, but just in terms of the current 10 event CT makeup and what would you like to see evolve in the future? Um, I think most events are pretty well, they're fun and entertaining, most of all. I was about to bring up, actually, that both you and I have been on the regional QS, and we had the chance of working there, competing there. You're spoiled once you make it to the CT, okay? Mm. Both in waves and just with the event. Right. I had to go to Virginia Beach. I went to Cocoa Beach. <laughs> I'd never want to go back to certain of those places ever again, okay? So you make it to the CT, even on the worst day, it's still 10 times better than the best day on uh, at a regular QS. Um, when it comes down to the 10 events that we have right now, maybe the Surf Ranch, uh, maybe I'd like to see a different wave setup right there. I know that we have an air section or, you know, a different thing. I feel like the formatting could probably worked around a little bit. I mm. think as of right now, it works, though. It works. Mm. And that's why I don't think it needs changing. Um, you know, it's really tough to just read a forecast, too. Right. Pipe, Sunset, those are two events where you're working with Open Ocean, Tahiti, too. It's the Pacific, dude. It's like you're working against Mother Nature. You know, you could get a great window like they had it for the trials, and then you get to the CT, and it's challenging. But these are the best surfers in the world that we're talking about. So they should be able to compete in anything. Um, yeah, I think besides that, we're doing great. Um, I'd love to see lowers back as a regular CT, but I'm glad that it's at the finals at least. But I think overall, given what the resources that we have as surfers in comparison to other major sporting events, hmm. we're doing the best we can. So I'm really happy of where we're at just as a sport. We're in the Olympics now. We're doing great, Dave, I feel. Yeah, and, I, and one thing I'll add to that, too. I think, you know, the, the North Star, despite, you know, occasionally a lot of noise in, in kind of stewarding professional surfing, I think for the WSL is, is the surfing getting better? Are we seeing the best surfing we've yeah. ever seen in yeah. the live arena? And, you know, I, I'm in the fortunate position where I, I can talk to people who are maybe critical of decisions that, that are made every now and then. And the one thing I think I hear all the time out of those people when I ask that question is they go, absolutely, I'm seeing the best surfing we've ever seen. So as I said, I, I think things can optimize and improve, but 
if we're seeing better and better surfing, I think we're on the right track. And, and I think when we stop seeing that is when we need to kind of pick our heads up and say, okay, you know, this is our business. Are we producing the best surfing in the world? And, um, yeah, that's always gotta be the North star. So, and we are, and we yeah, are, I think we are, I, mean, you can't, I think so. You can't even compare the generation and given that Kelly went through and he's gone through like five or six different generations, <laughs> maybe, but the generation yeah. that he's going through right now, the one that he's had to face the last 10 years, it is no doubt the best generation of surfing I've ever seen. So in a 10 year span for it to still evolve, something's been doing, doing right. So ah, I, I think so. I think we're doing great. Final question, Dave, from at WillieGoat0230. By the way, at WillieGoat, you're awesome. You've been uh, submitting your questions every single episode so far this season. We really appreciate your support. Everybody else for the pod. His question, Chi Chi brought us, <laughs> who are your three <laughs> outstanding surfers for 2023, men and women? He also threw in a shaka emoji. <laughs> Top three outstanding surfers. I mean, it's hard not to go straight off the rankings, but... Um... <laughs> I will, uh, I'll try. Um, and by try, I mean, not try on this first one, but I mean, I, I think it, the first one for me on the men's side is Felipe Toledo. And I know he's number one and I know he's the reigning world champ, but all that being said, I, I feel like, and just might be my personal take. I feel like we're all still underrating just how good he is. Like, and I know we've talked about it a few times on, and my second one's Ethan, just spoiler on the men's side. Um, but, but I'm bringing him up now because we talked about it post J-Bay, where I think Ethan was one of my winners. And I said, because I feel like he shifted the paradigm from Jordy Smith at Jeffreys Bay to Ethan Ewing at Jeffreys Bay. And it's been awesome. We, we talked about how disappointed we are about the injury, but that he has made such massive steps this year. He's been really impressive. Within the context of that in that last episode, I had to acknowledge that for as good as Ethan is, Felipe's speed and power and progression is just such a cut above everybody's right now. And so I, I have to say Felipe. I'm going to add Ian. And then the other one I'll say on the men's side, three of each, this is going to be a long time. I mean, look, we've, I've given Gabriel a nod. I, I, I think, I think I'm going to say Yago got so close and really took it to Kelly Slater in Tahiti to keep his final five dream alive. Ended up going down to Jack and, and losing out, but winning his first CT this season at Sakurama and, and kind of validating he's been like the world's best surfers pick for one of their favorite surfers for a few years now. I think his power, his speed, his style, his, the lines he draws on waves, really, really impressive. Um, this is a big question. Okay. Then on the women's side, <laughs> um, I guess I'll cheat again. I'll go with Carissa Moore just because good for her. Three event wins, so outstanding. Uh, what I'm interested with her, we talked about earlier in the episode, is last year we saw Stephanie Gilmore steamroll into the finals with Carissa and, and take the title away from her. And Carissa was in that number one spot and had to watch Steph kind of mow the field down. And I don't think Carissa surfed anywhere near her capability in the finals last year. And, and Steph absolutely won it, but maybe more so Carissa lost it. So I'm curious to see what lessons she's, I'm sure she has learned them. It, it's more, can you overcome them this year? Noting that between Tyler Wright, Caroline Marks, Molly Picklam, and Caitlin Simmers, that's a scary field. 
Um, so I'm really interested to see how Carissa goes at this year's finals. Uh, Katie Simmers is the second one that I'd bring up, um, mostly because I had concerns over uh, just how young she was. I knew how good she was. I didn't know she was going to be this good, but she's really impressed. She's been so polished. I think working with Steph Gilmore and Tom Whitaker all seasons really helped her um, in a big way, but she deserves all the credit, you know? Two CT wins, a uh, a final in Tahiti, and a final five berth with a shot at the world title during her rookie year. She she deserves a lot of credit. And then you know, the third one I'll mention, and we talked about her a little bit already, Gabriella Bryan. You know, young surfer out of Hawaii, doesn't get a ton of attention compared to her peers, but very consistent, very fast, very powerful, and for her, me, she seems like someone with a really high ceiling to keep improving. Um, I think I got my three and three, but I'm going to throw this back to you, Mitch, because I need to take a break. That's a big answer. <laughs> Those are some good answers, though, and I agree with all of them. Uh, on the men's side, obviously got to say number one, Felipe. It's the speed, as you were saying, and his speed management. There's mm. times where he turns, and for most people, your fins would be sliding out or your rails would disengage. He controls speed so well that it doesn't look like he's turning that hard, but he's going so fast that he is. Yeah. Um, especially at JB, I feel like he just redefined how to surf that wave back in 2017 when he had the perfect 10 with the two alley-oops, one in 2018 again, and then one this year. But man, Felipe's just been on a tear. Last year's number one seed, this year's number one seed heading into the Rip Girl WSL Finals. He's obviously my number one. Number two, I got to go with the Algodora. Um just really love the kid. I've known him for 10-plus years. For him to finish top eight right now uh, and moving into Tahiti as number five, he had to defend that spot. He did as well as he could just to then get the right waves in his quarterfinal against Jack. But uh, props to him. That's the best season of his year so far, and I feel like he's going to have a great 2024. My third one, it's no surprise. I've been high on him all year, and he just had a strong year. Number eight in the rankings at the end of 2023, Leonardo Fioravanti makes his first mm, final of pipeline. He was extremely impressive and very consistent. And I just love how competitive he is. Like, he doesn't care. He just goes out there. If you're John, if you're Gabe, he's still pushing you all the time. And I think that's really impressive. And it's times that, you know, we lose that. We lose that essence of competition when you go up against a foe that you know is better than you but they don't necessarily compete better than you. And I feel like that's where Leo actually wins most of his heats. He just goes out there and competes better than anybody else. On the women's side, number one has to be Katie Simmers. Three finals, two victories. And you better watch out to her because she is an animal. She charged the Tahiti. Uh, was really impressed with what I saw, her both both of her victories. And I thought that the surf ranch, too, she was super impressive. Made the semifinals over there. Number two has to go to Molly Picklin. What a bounce back. Loses out on her first CT year in 2022. Makes it back through the Challenger Series and now qualifies for, for her first ever Rip Curl WSL Finals. Really stoked to see her in there. She's one of the hardest working surfers in the entire sport. And my number one is actually Tyler Wright. I mm. think she has had an incredible performance in 2023. Nearly got the number one seed if she would have you know, made the final there in Tahiti. But... The adversity that she's gone through, the perseverance that she's maintained, and the persistence of just like having to go through all that, come back here and compete, and still show that you're one of the best servers in the world. I like those stories, Dave, and I'm really stoked that she's having a chance to compete for a third world championship. 
Great picks and uh, great questions. Thanks to everyone who wrote in at the lineup pod. You know, as Mitch said, if we didn't get to your question, um, keep sending them through. We, we do our best to answer to everyone in the DMs. And that's going to wrap it. That's going to wrap it for this episode of the lineup. Next event we got is the end of all things. It's the end of our season determining who the best surfers in the world are. It's going to be the Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles in September. Mitch and I are going to be there. It's going to be really exciting, and I'm sure we're going to talk afterwards. But, Mitch, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for what's coming. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if we want to do picks right now, but uh, I just want to say tune in because you don't want to miss out on the one-day action that we're going to have over there at Lowers. If it's pumping... I got to say the Griffins got a real good shot of competing at home, especially with the crowd behind him. And I actually think on the women's side, I'm going to go with another American. I think Caroline Marks takes out her first world championship at Lower Trestles, Dave. It's going to be fun. I'd like to see somebody prove me wrong, though. I think that Felipe is still the number one, and I think Carissa has a lot to prove based off of last year. Big, big picks. I'm going to reserve mine for when we launch the uh, lineup Discord chat, and so I'll throw them in there when we do that. So uh, thanks again, Mitch. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I'll see you soon. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Caroline Marks and Jack Robinson for winning the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outernown, as well as to Matt Biolis and Mayhem Surfboards for claiming the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year honors. The world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals will be held at Lower Trestles between September 8th and 16th, and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself, produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar, with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen, with support from Gina Chachao. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges as recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Wanenyo native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind 
Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 